Holly Ann Martin is the Managing Director for Safer Kids. She is passionate about keeping kids safe both in the real world and online. The primary goal for her podcast is to provide awareness for the safety of kids and your well-being. If any of the content in this podcast raises concerns or questions for you, please talk to a trusted family member, a friend, or consult a professional for additional support. To talk and tell with Holly and Kel, with your host Holly Ann Martin and Kelly Humphreys. And a lovely special guest today, uh, our beautiful friend Justine Dean joins us. Um, last week you would have seen Holly and myself talk about uh, bystander silence. Um, it is very powerful, um, a very difficult conversation to have. But, you know, we, we did that and it was fantastic. Um, but, yeah, so we're just wanting to today um, go live on that content that we spoke about last week and just recap over some of the really important issues. So my name is Kelly Humphreys. I'm an author, a speaker, and survivor of health Um It is my heart and my mission to empower children and families um, to basically break the cycles of abuse that perpetuate our families and homes. Um, by being brave and having these conversations. So um, I'll just hand over to Holly to introduce herself and uh, we'll, we'll get started. So, Hi, I'm Holly Ann Martin, Managing Director of Safe for Kids. And Safe for Kids is a company that specialises in child abuse prevention, um, training and resources. And I'm so proud to have teamed up with Kelly to be bringing you this series of um, topics that, not, that we don't feel enough people are talking about so um, we're prepared to go and have some conversations that hopefully will help many people so um, yeah thanks Cal. Beautiful. Um, last week we did have some pretty um, empowering conversations and I'll just I'll briefly just hand over to Justine if you can just tell us a little bit about who you are and then we'll just do a recap on what we spoke about in the video. Yeah sure. Um, so my name is Justine Dean, I'm a relationship specialist and I work with people who are having problems in their current relationship or they're single by choice or by fear and we can probably cover that later. Um, and I help them because quite often our past completely and directly impacts the choices we make around relationships that we have now. So that's where I sort of, that's the space that I work in. Oh, we've lost just, oh, we got you back. Yeah, I'm back, I'm back. <laughs> Sorry, I'm learning how to use mute. Um, but yeah, Justine and I connected through a mutual friend. And um, as I've kind of been saying, it's when we become really passionate and start speaking out that we find people who are on the same wavelength as us. And Justine's one of those people. Um, and it's just been a really uh, amazing connection. And she was able to share with me on Grow and Glow. We talked a lot about... Um, uh, the the triggers and how our brain works and it was a really really powerful conversation so um, you know Justine's here today because she's done the work and uh, she's an empowered amazing lady who's going to share some of her story with us today so um, just before we do that Holly um, we just want to do a bit of a recap on last week did you want to um, touch on any of the topics you spoke about um it's it's um Sorry, Kel, I've just gone blank. I'm, 
That's right. That's your trauma brain at work there, Holly. <laughs> it's it's when the energy like that that those chemicals flood the language center of the brain and then you shut down. That's why people don't speak sometimes. <laughs> we talk about that too. <laughs> Fight, flight, fawn and freeze, right? Well, I'm fawning at the moment. I've just lost everything. Oh, you're hilarious. Oh my god, I can't believe sorry. It's all good. See, we're all human on here and uh, Holly and I, we keep advocating for the fact that, um, you know, it's it's all just, we're just off the cuff. There is no script whatsoever. I've just finished at a speaking engagement this morning, <clears throat> but in that we find the most beautiful things pop up and um, I actually don't want to be prepared because uh, I find it in that vulnerable space that um, beautiful things happen. So. Um, some of the things we did talk about, and there's been um, a few comments made about uh, the power of witnesses and just how um, speaking up and being brave. And I did share this in a, in a I guess you call it a meme or something on my Facebook page about um, how being brave and speaking up is not just a, it's not just a message for victims, it's a message for witnesses as well. <clears throat> so, you know, and it's, and it's tough and it's all kinds of uncomfortable things happen um you know when you see something and you're not sure about it and that's one of the reasons people don't speak because they don't actually always know what they've seen and you know especially when talking about child sexual abuse um becomes really prevalent sometimes when uh you know there's and look it can be anyone again we talked about that holly how uh, with the stereotypes as well we often think that pedophiles have a uh, or pedophiles predators child abusers, however you want to label it, um, they have this specific way of presenting themselves, you know, but, but they don't. They're, they're everybody, they're anyone, and, you know, it can show up in some of the most unexpected of places. And we often think that, and, and again, this is another reason for bystander silence, is that, you know, because they're this amazing person in the community, they couldn't possibly have committed an offence against my child. And so that's where it can get quite difficult and... Um, you know, there's a lot of silence around that because people don't expect that these people will become abusers. So, yeah, we spoke about uh, just the overwhelming fear. So when we start to talk about the abuse of children, we automatically get this like shame feeling about ourselves where we don't really want to go there. It's, it's an unspoken thing. Um, you know, and it can be your own personal feelings. Let's say it's a mother or a father, um, and something's happening in the family home. Um, there's this overwhelming feeling, and it might stem from um, the own person's abuse. So, for example, I'm abused, and if I've got a child in my house, and you know something happened, I might have overwhelming feelings about it and not be able to deal with my own stuff, and therefore not have the capacity to support a child. So, there was a lot of things. This is not my situation, by the way, but I'm just putting it as an example because there's a lot of women. And, and we did speak about a case study last week um, and some research done by Harvard around um, uh, denying abuse, denying abuse in the home. And so a lot of that was about um, the fact that, you know, a lot of this is, it's um, generational abuse, right? So, you know, if the abuse has happened before, um, there may not be strategies in place for the person who's witnessing the abuse. So therefore they may not speak up because at one, they don't have the strategies. Two, they're still dealing with their own uh, overwhelming feelings and issues around that abuse and therefore um, not always able to or have the capacity to support the child who's then being abused. So again, 
as I said uh, last week and as Holly and I advocate, none of this makes it okay. It doesn't make it right. Um, it doesn't excuse it, but it can make it more understandable as to why these things may may happen. So, yeah, it, and again, like some of these conversations and things that we are going to share could be quite hard hitting, but it's for this reason that we're having these conversations is to make it so that we are speaking about it because it's only by doing that that we bring this into the light and we empower people to actually start speaking up. So, um, you know, and, it's, and it is, it's essential information. I think we all need to do it. And actually, um, of all the things that we've spoken about, we, it's important to know everything. Um, but this, I think, even if you don't know what it is, and this was another really important point, like um, what if you do say something and it all goes pear-shaped? And, you know, a lot of people won't say something or get involved because of that. Uh, and then you say, what if I'm wrong? about it and then I say what if you're right <clears throat> and what if you're right has its own repercussions as well and so it does make it hard but that's why there's mandatory reporting and I just want to reassure people as I did last week is that it doesn't matter if you are right or wrong if it gives the parent or the caregiver an opportunity for a discussion around child abuse it means that the child then is empowered and put into a position where they may be able to speak up about what's actually happening Okay, so it just gives and opens up an avenue for conversation. Not only that, if it's an organisational thing, um, you know, there's specific protocols in place for each organisation if they identify or see child abuse occurring that they must report it. Okay, and then it's up to the investigators to, to do a job. And, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, I think we spoke, did we speak Holly, Holly last week about um, if... if child was lying I yeah a little bit. And yeah. Just, um, you know that statistics show that the amount of children that actually lie about it is so minimal yeah. but regardless we have to believe all children um, yeah. because we need to advocate for them and you know the the unwritten rule around this is children under the age of 10 don't ever lie about it because they don't have the life experiences to be able to lie about it children over 10 may and we i we use the example you know mum's got a new boyfriend and the child doesn't like them or whatever but that is so minute um and another thing that i'm coming across a lot is um people are getting the children to retract their story and then the child is labeled a liar when they're not lying but the pressure was too great for the child and you know they, they take it back sort of thing so um, you know, we really need to we need to advocate for children. And but the evidence shows that um, you know that the, the amount of children that lie about it is so minute that you know less than one percent. Yeah, and it is hard. And even Justine, you might even be able to speak to this. There's a comment just on the um, feed at the moment that just says sexual abuse has been generational in our family, and it's hard to speak up. And I know from my experience, I didn't know it was generational at the time, but it wasn't until I spoke up. <coughs> said something that that was the opportunity that my mum was able to share and say hey this is my story too and um you know it was really really powerful because then she was able to go and and I knew that I wasn't alone you know so it's only when we do start to have those conversations that it matters so yeah, yeah you- I think um my my story is a little bit different because although it was generational um 
my mother was the person who kept silent about it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so I dare say that she and then her, you know, sister were groomed into that fear of reprisal should they speak up. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and it is and it is hard and I know for many families that it's almost too overwhelming a task, even as an adult survivor, to say, hey, um, you know, after all these years, I'm ready to, to share my story, but now it's too hard because of it's too long ago and I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to, you know, say it. And, and, I, and I get that, but it's only now in hindsight, looking back, I can see how it's empowered my family. Mm. And not everyone's going to be my family and not everyone's going to have the same sort of people in their life but I, I think it's it's my responsibility if I'm ready to speak up to do that because um, again it just lets those other people in, in my family know they're not alone you know and there's and there's actually quite a lot it's the same and, and not my immediate family so my mum yes um, but there's other people in the in the external parts of my family that have also suffered from abuse and so um, you know, we have to look at the stats again. And what is it, Holly? One in five, depending on where you look, and one in one in five women, one in six men, um, or one in ten, depending on again where you look. There's so many people. Um, so even if you don't know if someone in your family has been struggling with abuse, nine times out of ten, there's going to be someone you know that's been sitting there and waiting for you to just share or, or, or share your story, share your heart. And it is just so important, you know even if it's one person you start that conversation with. I think the main thing is that um, more conversations need to be had so that people know that it's not okay because inside of not talking about this stuff, we are allowing shame to perpetuate and the shame of the victim, you know, somebody else's addiction or, you know, addiction to small children or addiction to anything becomes the shame of the person that's being victimised. So it's inside of having these conversations that we need to, it, you know, it's it's broadcasting that this is not okay. It's it's not okay, and that um, the victim hasn't done anything wrong, and that it's safe to talk about it. You need to, you know, inside of talking about this, we're creating a space for people to feel safe to speak up. Yeah, mm. and we and again. Um, guys like I said um, and we always seem to say and I forgot to put my disclaimer out there but everything we talk about today is my personal opinion my research and from my own experience um, but it is definitely um, we we have to be having these conversations because uh, again I just I keep getting disclosures week after week because it is about being that safe person I'll just share with the ladies um, here today about the power of absolutely like connecting with people, but it has to come from a heart of vulnerability. Um, but we also think that vulnerability is weakness and it's not. It is so um, it's powerful. strength. Yes. Yeah. It takes huge courage to share. Um, mm. So, you know, if you, if you are watching, um, I just want to, to remind you that being able to share tough stuff is, is quite brave. It takes a lot of courage. Mm. Um, you know, so, so eliminate that feeling because for a long time I thought I was a coward because I couldn't speak up. Um, but what I realised is what it took for me to survive was actually quite powerful. And now I look back at it and I think, you know what, I, my little girl was really tough. She was freaking awesome. 
you know, and we forget about that. We really do. So, uh, yeah, you know, if you're out there and even if you're a witness, again, so this is about bystander silence. Next week we're going to do um, and talk about victim silence. So because it's two very different things, but they do um, cross over when it comes to the fact that, you know, as a child you're trying to speak up and then you're silenced. That actually um, yeah. <laughs> perpetuates victim silence right there because, you know, and, and we've said it, Holly, um, in our beginning uh, conversations about when a child starts to disclose, you know, it takes every ounce of courage for that child to come forward and go, hey, this is what's happening to me. And the moment that you shut them down or you're too busy or, or you don't believe them, they actually will not disclose again. So, you know, that's that's a, another reason. One, for bystander silence. So someone's like, well, they're not going to listen. So I'm not going to, you know, shutting somebody down or from the victim's point of view, um, not being able to speak up because they're not empowered to speak up. Yeah, I think one perpetuates the other because that's that's my story. It's sort of intertwined into both. Yeah. Well, on that, Justine, I know, um, you know, and again, I thank you so much, um, Holly and I both, for you being brave uh, and, and coming on and, and sharing part of your story. And I know um, it's, it's never easy, to, guys, it's never easy. And every time I have a revelation myself, I struggle too. Um, and it doesn't get easier. It just, you just learn how to deal better with it and you realise more about how your story is impacting people. So, um for that, Justine, I thank you for your courage and just being able to be part of this conversation with us because I know myself how difficult it is and I've heard parts of your story and you're a freaking warrior woman, not a warrior, <laughs> a warrior. Thank and you. Just, yeah, I appreciate you so much. So would you mind just sharing um, what you feel comfortable with of, of your story and just how especially um, the impact of being silenced because so much of what we're talking about is actually about that right now. So. Yeah, of course. Um, the, it started, well, I'll start with being silenced. I was molested by my grandfather and I was somewhere between the age of three and five because I know he passed away when I was in grade one or two. Somewhere between the age of three and five, I said to my mother, you know, I used his name and I said, he's being rude with me. Now, it's so interesting, just as an aside, that as a little child with no sex education and no conversations around it, that I knew that it wasn't right. And, um, you know, he would read stories to me um, and then, you know, it would happen. But I remember saying to her, you know, he's being rude with me and just being, you know, oh, don't, shh, don't worry about it. And um, and another time, and this is this has only recently clicked with me. Another time, she walked in on him with me and said to me, "Get out." So, the significant thing here is that there was never any conversation with me about it. So I was just not listened to. So whether whether it doesn't matter which order those two things happened, I don't know which order they did. But I told her. So if I told her something happened. And then after it, she walked in on us. It means that she left me alone with him. If it happened, it, if it happened, and she sent me out of the room, and and she had told me in twenty or thirty years later that she she told him never to touch me again. But if that happened first, and then I was still later on, even if it was months or weeks later, saying he's being rude with me. Both, it doesn't matter which order they happened, it means that it still 
Like that, that actually really concerned me when I put two and two together. But it's very interesting what happened after that because I study, um, I study the brain and behaviour and why we behave the way that we do. So at that age, I didn't have the emotional maturity to make a decision about or a meaning about it that was logical and rational and realistic. So I decided, as most people do and a lot of the clients I speak to, that I'm a bad girl, that I'm naughty, that I have to be quiet and keep secrets. Um, and then from then on, I don't know what happened. Uh, you know, he passed away, you know, 12 months or so later. Um, but the interesting thing is when I was at school then, I, you know, you make decisions about um, safety, about um, the feelings, you know, when you're a teenager. Uh, the other thing that was really interesting is that as a child, I assumed that my dad knew. I assumed that my mum had told my dad. And I was confused as to why he did nothing about it. And so I made it mean that I'm unworthy and I'm not lovable. And there was a real conflict with me because, you know, a little girl just wants to be able to curl up on her dad's lap and be wrapped in his arms and feel safe. But as soon as he wrapped his arms around me, I would jump off because I wasn't sure what was going to happen next. I didn't know. I, I never had it confirmed or affirmed with me that that's not okay and that you are safe with other people or anything like that. It was just I had to keep it a secret and I had to keep it quiet. We'll go forward quite a bit. When I was about 27, I said to my mum, why didn't you ever tell dad? And she just turned to me and said, well, I, I didn't want to lose my husband, Justine. And that hit me so hard, you know, um, but so I had disclosed at around somewhere between three and five and she had witnessed it. Then when I was uh, about 14 or 15, I was having night terrors and nightmares and probably because, you know, I was starting to have attraction towards men and men were, you know, males were paying me attention and I was having all of these flashbacks and I walked into her room and I said, mum, I'm, I really need your help. Like the courage it took to go to her as a little tacker, um, you know, saying something's wrong, I need help. But then to go back again and say, I need help, I'm having these nightmares. And she, I'll never forget it, she turned on me because dad was up the other end of the house. And she said, you shut up, forget about it. You're a child, just get over it, it's done now. And, and don't ever bring it up again because your father doesn't know. So to me, when I... That was, that was huge for me because I, I, that, that was like, holy crap, you know. But again, I was only 15, so I didn't have a lot of experience in the world. So I could only make it mean that, why didn't she tell him? And I was like, God, this is so, this is so interesting. So when we, when we're not protected and we, we make it mean that we don't deserve to be protected, so that's why we end up choosing one toxic relationship after the other, because I had I had these glasses on. Well, I'm not worthy and I don't deserve to be protected and I don't deserve. So we're walking around with like a dozen pair of glasses on and that's how we see the world. So here's the other thing that happens when you're silenced. Um, I had a music teacher 
and I went to I got dropped off at their house to have a lesson and the music teacher put their hand on my leg when I got a scale right and I went home now I went home and I just said I don't want to learn to play the piano and uh, my parents both got really angry at me because I was very talented incredibly talented and in my mind well I can't say why so I'll just you know how we we adapt very unhealthy coping mechanisms to deal with trauma and when we're feeling confronted so I thought oh, well, I can't say why so I was just just saying well I hate it I don't really want to do it even though I did and then when I so I didn't speak up and I think at that time I didn't know that dad didn't know but then after I found out that he didn't know I started um, driving lessons so I must have been around 17 and my first bloody driving lesson the guy was a lech and I had done a great park or something and he wrapped his arms around me and slid his hand down my thigh and I just you know so it's one thing after another you're I knew enough I wanted to protect myself so when I went home I said I don't want I don't like that driving structure I don't need lessons and I was just really acting out so why didn't I say it's because he was touching me up because I had to keep a secret to protect my mother from whatever you know and I couldn't speak up because no one was going to protect me anyway um, and the interesting thing is that I chose my first partner in life because I you know you, you want attention and affection because our brains are wired it's called attachment theory our brains are wired for connection so I became a great flirt I liked that I could feel good because somebody liked me but I'd never let them any closer than that and I know that some victims of child um, of sexual abuse or trauma become quite promiscuous and I I, it was the only way I felt power was to be able to flirt with someone, but not then it, you know, keep them at arm's length. Um, but I still believed, I'm going to say, I thought I was a piece of shit. I thought I didn't de deserve to be respected or cherished or treated well. And I had to keep secrets. And there were other instances um, when I was maybe grade one or two, my next door neighbor, um, their 12 year old son started touching me. And we were down the back um, and my mum could see from the kitchen and she just, I don't think she saw anything because we were sort of in the bushes. And she yelled out for me to come up and I remember standing in the kitchen and she was looking back on it. She was terrified, but she looked furious and she said to me, what did you do? What did you do? And I got sent to my room and when I look back, like, you know, it's it's very easy to see how somebody becomes silent and doesn't speak up about what happened to them. But it's also, you know, she would have been frightened of losing her husband, which is what she said to me in later years. Um, but it's about looking at what she grew up with, you know. And so as as a young girl, I don't really know. I know that her sister, when I described what he used to do to me, um, her sister confirmed that's exactly what he did to her. And it's created a woman who has to control and manipulate the situation around her so that her secret doesn't get, you know, out. 
because her, her immediate response was, if somebody finds out, I'll lose my husband. And that's so sad. Um, you know, so she's also grown up with all of these meanings that she's attached, you know, all of these lenses that, and, you know, she had to become someone who made everybody distrust me and the family. I remember driving along one day with my dad in um, his delivery truck and I would have been in early high school and he just popped out and said out of the blue because he's not a talker and he said you know your mum's never let me get close to you just out of the blue um, and looking back I get now I, she couldn't let anybody get close to me in case I told her secret and exposed it so for me it created someone I became very charming and I learned how to um, diffuse a situation by being a people pleaser and I became someone who had to make sure that everybody else was okay. I never spoke up when other people did things to me because I was more afraid of the conflict than I was and plus I didn't deserve, I, I didn't believe that I deserved to be taken care of or helped in any way because the one person that you rely on to teach you about self-love to protect you and um, comfort you is the one person that has told you you need to keep quiet you mean nothing you just keep the peace you just stay stay there um, yet I had to perform for the family, you know, as in be the people pleaser and be a good girl as well, you know, because that's what I'd heard when I was little, just be a good girl, you know, just be quiet. So I don't know if you've got any questions around that at all. No, I just, I, I just feel very blessed. Um, Justine, can you guys hear me? You're good. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I just feel very blessed that you're able to share that because it's, it's that initial first action that people don't realise has such long-lasting and long-term effects. And even as adults, we don't know ourselves. Like, even this morning, I shared in my confession live on my, my veranda about um, how I stay busy and why I stay busy. And, you know, I, I fell apart this week myself because I was feeling so overwhelmed and anxious. Like, I, I just live, I can't sit in this anxiety space. And it's, and it's because it's how I've survived, right? It's how I've survived by staying busy because if I'm not busy, then, you know, I actually have to sit with my own pain pretty much. So, you know, we do have all these adult coping behaviours as a result of, of those things that happen. And particularly, um, and I know this is what's been coming up for me, is a lot of people disclosing, as you shared your story, very similar stories to yourself where they haven't been protected by a carer, a guardian, a loved one, or they've shared or they've shared with even someone in a position of authority um, who has the capacity to do something and hasn't. And so, you know, there's a lot of people just like you at the moment who are going through life, who've had these experiences where um, the person that they have thought they could trust and thought would be their carer and be able to be a voice for them just wasn't that person. So, you know, it's, it's very hard. There is a comment on the feed just saying, thank you, Justine, for sharing, can totally relate to this. Um, and again, just very similar to, to your story, time and again, falling into toxic relationships and a lack of self-worth, it can totally understand. So, um, you know, already impacting there, so it's good. But Yeah, it's so interesting. There's so many people that I've coached over time who 
because I work in a relationship space because I'm obsessed with connection. Um, there's a lot of people who have chosen, like I did, a string of toxic relationships because that's what we believe we deserve. There's a lot around, you know, what we believe we deserve and about not being able to speak up. If we get into a relationship and then realise, oh my God, this is so bad for me, we actually would rather stay in that relationship than cause conflict and by going. So uh, for me, when I you know, chose someone who was a very heavy drinker, who was not loving. I mean, he probably didn't even love himself. He wouldn't have known how to love me well, and neither of us knew what we were doing. But I, I called my parents and said, I have to leave. This is horrible, because it did become abusive. Not not physically, but it was, it was not good at all. And um, my mum said, you made your bed, you lie in it. Don't embarrass the family. And, um, you know, it's really funny, the people that knew me 20 years ago don't know me now because um, I got some coaching around my belief system around, because uh, I used to have up to five panic attacks a day and sometimes I completely black out, constant anxiety. I had probably two or three migraines a week um, and I have been suicidal on and off throughout my life. And I went to counsellors and therapists for about 25, 30 years and was on and off medication. But it wasn't until I reframed the way that I looked at all of that from the past um, and did some work with NLP and timeline therapy and hypnotherapy. That sort of was the most powerful stuff I've ever done. And it's completely disconnected my response. Because people say, how can you talk so calmly about some of these things that happened? And um, I think it's because when that trauma happens, and we touched on this last time we spoke, your brain spits out a particular chemical of cocktails. So later on, you only need to see a picture of that person or hear their name or um, hear somebody say the same phrase in a very loving, genuine way. But because your brain remembers it, it goes and it spits out that same old trauma cocktail and you get that instant um, panic attack or rush. Um, so that's, there's, there's so much freedom in doing that work. And a lot of people think that it's traumatic to actually do the work and, and disconnect from all of that, those old trauma responses. Um, and I thought so too, that's why I put it off for so long. But when I did, the freedom it gave me physically in my body and mentally, I went from all of that palaver to nothing for the last four years. I sleep through the night. I used to get tight night terrors because I'd imagine that I was sleeping next to my first husband in my sleep and I would fly out of bed and hit the wall because I didn't know where I was and I would just want to get away from him um, and that just doesn't happen anymore which is beautiful but it's about like I said it's about having that conversation and speaking to speaking up until somebody helps you but speaking to the right people as well yeah because Often. about not being believed as well because my mum made it her mission for the family to believe that I was a liar because if I did tell someone, you know, it, she needed me to be perceived a certain way by the family so that if I ever did speak up again, no one would believe me. Yeah, see, I just, I, I struggle with that because I just, I know you now and I just think, man, you're such an incredible human. Um, and I just, I appreciate that we're, being able to start having these conversations with real people and it's only because we're having these conversations that these people are coming out of the woodworks and it's just beautiful yeah, of course. It's this amazing cultivation of 
of um, souls. And even Ash, Ash, how are you going? He's my one of my favorite male followers. I love it. I love that we get men in this conversation too because yeah. it's so important. Um, but yeah, I, I just I think what's what's really um, important is <laughs> there's a lot of people. Unfortunately, yes. We, they haven't spoken up because they've seen something, but there's a lot of people out there that are still struggling with the guilt of that. And, mm. you know, for for those people that are sitting there going, man, yeah, I've seen something, but I didn't do anything. Well, it's not too late. Um, if, if that's still possibly happening or going on, I just encourage you to really think about your position on, on what the thing is that you saw and, you know, you can, um, and again, it might be a selfish thing. You can relieve yourself of that burden by speaking up. You know, and, and it's because, um, you know, oftentimes we can't or, or, you know, investigations fail because there's no witnesses. There's no one who's been willing to support that. Um, and, and so it does take someone who's seen something to go, hey, yeah, I actually witnessed something that was really profound and I haven't reported it. I didn't because I was afraid and, and just own it, you know, and, and there's procedures and policies in place that can help do that. Um, but essentially, as adults in any children's life and even children who see things, um, you know, they often speak up and are silenced by adults. I mean, that's something I'm currently investigating and I'll share when I've sorted it all out. But, um, you know, these are things that are really important. So never I don't think afraid. it's ever too late to speak up either. I think I've, I've actually coached people who have uh, not spoken up and then, and then because they've left it a little while because they're afraid of the repercussions, they're less likely to speak up and when they finally do it's so freeing for yes. everybody yep. um my husband's just gotten home so i'll have to sign off in a minute that's okay um yeah. well, before you do that i just want to say um thank you justine for joining holly and i today that's okay anytime yeah i appreciate it if there's any questions um and we can put justine's uh, link in there if you like but yeah if there's any questions yeah, for sure. Justine, just send us a message and um, uh, we'll we'll get back to you or if there's any yeah, more than happy to have a, a chat with anybody if you want to send me a message um, just PM me the other thing that might be helpful on my web page I've got uh, a blog tab that has about 25 articles they're all two-minute reads some of them might help people watching this uh, understand why they think the way they do and why they behave the way that they do. I sort of do a lot of that background work as well. So there are only two minute reads that might be helpful. But you other than that, um, what's that? Sorry. You just shared out your website. Uh, www.justinedean.com. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So um, I'll sign off now. But thank you so much for having me here. Um, and I hope it's sort of been a bit useful. And like I said, very open to people PMing me and uh, having a chat if they want to talk about it. Beautiful. Thanks, Justine. Appreciate You're you. You're very welcome. Okay, bye. Awesome. So that's um, a lovely Justine Dean on Talk and Tell with Helene Kell just to um, share her story and just... It's not just what happens in that moment when, you know, that little voice speaks up and says, hey, this is what's going on. It's it's a lifelong journey for a survivor, um, you know, and it's just so important, I think, that we as caregivers, adults in, in uh, a child's life, even if we're not sure, to speak up because 
um, it's up to the caregiver then. So like, let's say it's, it's, you know, a father abusing a child. Well, having an adult conversation with the mother, say, look, this is what I saw. Um, I'm not really sure what's going on there, but perhaps you could just have a chat with your child about body awareness or safety or, you know, maybe have that feeling because it's at that point that that child can actually disclose, you know, there's, there's lots of ways to do it. This is not black and white. Like, you know, we don't have a Bible on how this stuff works because everything is different. Every family is different. Every home is different. Um, and Holly, I know you do so much around protective behaviors. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm just so grateful for um, Justine's honesty and frankness. Um, but for me, it's just so um, confirmed that everything that I teach children, you know, it's not children's jobs to keep themselves safe. It is adults' jobs. But kids, and, and it's not, you know, I, I know people say to kids, well, why didn't you tell me? That's not okay. We can't say that. But, you know, when we teach the children about having a safety team of five people that, you know, to listen to them, and if the first person doesn't listen, we have to keep telling. You know, I, I say when I do a parent workshop that there are two things that I'm most passionate about, the, the whole 10 sessions that I, you know, I give kids. Um, and the first is persistence. The second one's private parts. And we'll do that when we do a session on this. But also, you know, I'm reiterating, I did a, a workshop on Monday night. I had 100, uh, sorry, um, 75 parents at this workshop. And, you know, she said it beautifully. When a child says, I don't want to go to the, the um, you know, piano teacher, ask why. We need to give kids permission and we need to follow up. Not just, um, you know, oh, well, you know, I'm paying good money now, get there sort of thing. We need to... Um, give kids permission to tell us the bad stuff. We need to open up those, you know, that communication. So um, I'm sure, and, and it's a shame she had to go because I would have liked to have had the chance and I probably might contact her anyway, um, to talk to Justine about, you know, what, what was there any sort of education done when she was a child in school? And, you know, there must have been, you know yourself, kids still put out um, little behaviours that if just somebody had said, you know, maybe her dad said, oh, why don't you want to give me a cuddle and, and things like that. We need to not just miss things and just, you know, open communication is so important. So I'm, I'm hoping that, um, you know, I, I can't express, I'm a bit overwhelmed actually by how beautifully she spoke and just how much, if people listen to her uh, this interview, I'm going to be sharing it up the wazoo because, um, you know, <laughs> you know me, I'm a bit, bit over the top. But it's so important that, you know, if people listen to that, they will get that aha moment. Aha, I need to ask why, you know, my child doesn't want to go to the um, grandma's house or whatever it is. Um, you know, the importance of parents to teach, um, you know, about having a safety team. Um, you know, teaching kids that if they, they're not listened to, to ring the kids' helpline. There are so many strategies that we can give. And so, yeah, I, I'm, to, to be honest, this has been a really, for me, such a wonderful interview. I just, yeah, I hope people get so much out of this. Sorry, I just think it's beautiful that people can share. Honestly, I'm trying to mute because there's some trucks going past and, um, this is not my usual setup, but um, that's okay. So, um, but yeah, it's just just the process of, of 
um, again, that power of vulnerability and sharing, it just gives other people that opportunity to share. So, um, you know, it's, it's really, really powerful. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, and again, just really grateful that we can continue to have these conversations. So bystander silence, um, it's, it's all about anybody who sees or thinks or observes or has knowledge of uh, any sort of abuse happening um, and you know either does nothing about it or can actually then step in and be really brave for that child so um, you know there's there's a lot of power in that and you know children oftentimes when they're the most vulnerable even if they don't speak up they're just longing and it's me in the background with my eyes even though it has no language being like help me help me you know I, I don't know that and I'm not brave enough at that point as a small child to say this is what's going on I need you to rescue me I don't have those words and I know as a child that's exactly how I felt um, without knowing and without having a language around it to say you know please help me and also just want to quickly put in there that um, not to forget and there's a lot of parents out there that blame themselves for the abuse that happened but had no knowledge and that comes from the grooming behavior of a predator Mm. Um, so not only is the child groomed, but the family is groomed as well in order to have yeah. access to the child to sexually exploit them. So yeah. I just need to make that clear. Yes, there's parents that know about it and don't do anything. There's bystanders that could be brothers, sisters, other family members, other you know friends of the child, whatever, um, that see and, and may not do something. That's that's the bystander silence we're talking about. Not so much, um, you know, uh, the parents obviously that don't know about it, who are groomed and have no choice and don't actually realise it's happening. So there's a massive difference. So, um, all good. Ash, I see you've unmuted. Did you want to make a comment, mate? Yeah, actually. Um, pretty much on what you just said about finding the words. Um, I've recently, like, I sent your book anonymously to mum and that's changed her life because all of a sudden she gave herself permission to start talking openly about what's going on for her. And the rage and stuff that all you ladies have been talking about has what was what I've experienced with mum over the years. What Justin was saying about the catchphrases, my mother become the perpetrator in my life. And what I've had to understand is the ramifications of molestation for her. Because what you said about the family grooming is exactly what happened with mum. It was yeah. the farmhand, and ultimately, granddad was always grumpy and always in a hurry. And mum was trying to make help granddad to be happy to come home without ever realizing it your book your book helped her uncover that in mum's adult life and my adult life after my father left like her psychology become almost grooming by nature in itself in order to keep her safe she become very angry and vicious and outrageous at the world and that therefore then become what i know now is enmeshment trauma for me which is like emotional incest because mum never healed those wounds inside her heart since reading your book she started having some, like some of the most beautiful conversations with me, and a lot of those, a lot of those things for me that have affected me in my life, my adulthood are changing now because of what you, what your book did for her. I spent, I spent 15 years trying to have that conversation with my mother, and she didn't want to borrow it. I sent your book anonymously to her, and it changed her whole life, mate. And it's also changing mine because that flow and effect of what that caused for my mother and then caused her to do to me, and made her do to me for her own protection cause, actually damaged me massively and my mental health. So the subject you're talking about is far beyond, is even greater than beyond the initial action of what you're creating. Um, 
because it's happening in my life now. I'm opening up more to my experiences and what's going on for me. Yeah. And starting to soften into the softer tones of masculinity because I've become quite efficient at moving all the time when I haven't been able to find the words that's going on for me. So now that you're starting to vocalise and give a dialogue to this story, like, like you're changing the you're changing the dialogue of how we communicate within our families, which is basically going to bring us back to what this country was founded on originally. So I, I just want to say that I don't think you should think anything small of what you're attempting to face because there is a lot of shame behind what you're facing and you've helped my mother move through that beyond what I ever thought was possible. I was waiting for her deathbed to have the conversations I'm having with her now. Hell, you know, and that that's because of your book. I just wish I could give you a really big hug at the moment, Ash. You're just such a beautiful man. I thank you so much, hey. Yeah, thank you. Oh, so stop it. <laughs> you're making me get upset. <laughs> no, in the most beautiful way. I appreciate you so much. You just... Uh, love well, you, man. This is, part of, this is part of the healing for all of us, Kel. Love yeah. you too, mate. Yeah, thank you. I... That's why we got to keep talking, hey. It's... um. It's soulful solidarity in a way. It's like getting together and having this deep heart-soul connection that I think we've all been just longing for. And um, it's just really, really important. I thank you so much for sharing that. And I know your mum is beautiful and she's um, she definitely is really growing. And she's blessed to have a son like you, that's for sure. So, yes, ah, all right. Thank <laughs> Thanks, Ash. Wow. Um, Holly, <laughs> where do you go from there, Cal? Oh, I, don't... <laughs> I know I've got tears in my eyes. That was so heartfelt, and you know, I never take for granted just um, the spin-off that that comes. You know, the amount of comments and and messages I get, the amount of comments that you get from you know two chicks having a chat. So, um, <laughs> <It's been> a <laughs> <while>. <laughs> um, the the fact that you know that you're stepping up and um you know people are just drawn to you because um of, of being this open and you know you leave your ego at the door and you just speak from the heart and i know that's what you say all the time you know I, this is my heart and it, it totally is and you know the, the fact that these are out there and they're going to be shared and, and stuff like that um you know it's just priceless yeah it's beautiful and um Again, Ashley, I just I thank you so much for that. And you constantly, your little inboxes and stuff and comments, like I just, I keep saying it, but it means so much, especially coming from a, a male because someone who's been able to speak their heart because I know so many men are, are really struggling and, you know, this these messages aren't just for women. And I, I really, really want the men of this world to hear what we are saying because men are victims as well and... You know, I know that society kind of just feels like, at times it just feels like, oh, it's all about the girls, but it, it's definitely not. Um, and I just really, really want to reach into the heart of the blokes out there who are struggling because, yes, I'm a girl talking about it, but there's guys out there and, I, and, and so many of you struggle with even in very diverse issues to us as women. Um, but you are loved. I hear you. I get you. Um, please share our messages. You know, it's for all of us and we all have a role in this. So 
um, with that in mind, um, let's all just be brave, speak up, like safe space here with Holly and I. Um, but yeah, I thank you guys if you're listening to this for being part of this. It's Talk and Tell with Holly and Kel. Um, you can get my book from my website, uh, kellyhumphreys.com. Um, there's still heaps of copies and I'll sign it and I'll send it out to you. Um, Holly's also an author. I'll get you just to shout out your website, Holly, and then we'll sign off for the day. Um, thanks for that, Kel. Uh, I just want to mention that um, Professor Frieda Briggs was our most renowned expert in Australia around this child abuse subject. She passed away a few years ago, but she always said that in her research, she believes more men are sexually abused than, than women. Men are just less likely to talk about it. So when brave men step up, you know, that's just, we need brave men to step up too, because it's not, um, you know, when I'm talking to, to, to men and they disclose, you know, the shame they feel around it. And it's so much more complex because you know, they're worried that people will perceive them as a, a perpetrator and it doesn't lead to people being perpetrators and stuff. There's not enough spoken about this. So, um, you know, it's I'm just so grateful for Ash too. But yeah, my um, website is um, www.safeforkids.com.au. Um, my Facebook page is just Safe for Kids. I also have a YouTube channel with um, loads of helpful videos and, and stuff to help parents and teachers um, talk about child protection. And, and actually on a Sunday now, um, on my um, teacher's page, I'm actually doing live free training to try and get more of our teachers to be teaching protective education to their students. So, Kel, it's been an awesome week. I think this has been, out of all of them, no offence, but I think this has been my absolute favourite. Beautiful. Thanks, Holly. Guys, we're going to continue to try and do this weekly. Sometimes it may not happen, but um, we're going to try and bring this content, new, fresh, amazing stuff to you each week, being all brave and tough. <laughs> but thank you, guys. Um, we'll see you next week. The primary goal of this podcast is to provide awareness for the safety of kids and your well-being. If any of the content of this podcast raises concerns or questions for you, please talk to a trusted family member, a friend, or consult a professional for additional support.